Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Noah's last announcement there uh, kind of brought to mind a little article I saw just today. It said La Nina is predicting mild and moister winter for Macomb County. So get on that snow crew. Yes, yeah, it should be a nice, uh, uh, easy winter, according to at least that article. I don't know. You just uh, get on the snow crew, pray it doesn't snow on your weekend. That's all. It's, it's a great thing. Uh, I also want to take a minute to say thank you to everyone who was here, not yesterday, but a week ago, Saturday, and you helped to clean up the grounds here you did a, a fantastic job. The dumpster was brimming with some of the, all the, the trees that were trimmed and the branches that were picked up and all the cleaning that happened. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you are just part of the body of Christ helping out. And uh, so many of us, we appreciate it. I want to let you know here uh, at, the, uh, at the church and on the pastoral staff, it's just amazing to see how people come together and get things done in a, just a few short hours. And also, just thanks to everyone who was up here singing today. It's so great to see all the, and hear all those voices. It really is, uh, it's just, it, it's fantastic. And I know all of you wanted to be back, and we're, we're happy that this was the second, uh, second time we're having a group up here, and it's great. I mean, second time in a while, I should say. And uh, it really, really just fills the house, and we're so grateful for it. So uh, this morning, as we move forward into the Word of God, I bring you another reminder and we've heard some reminders the past couple of weeks. We had a reminder about worshiping God, praising God. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, a reminder. God is always watching. And we used a bit of his word in an almond branch that talked about watching. God's always watching. This morning, I have another reminder, a reminder that's found in the Old Testament but it's applied in the New Testament. It's a reminder that came from Moses, who was the uh, great leader of the Hebrew people, the Hebrew people also called the Israelites, the Jewish people. Moses, with the power of God behind him, with the power of God in front of him, Moses, with the power of God, was able to release the Israelites from, from slavery. They had been enslaved for hundreds of years. And Moses led hundreds of thousands of the Israelite people from slavery in Egypt. Ten generations, 400 years, they had been slaves. And God promised Moses that his people would have a new land, one that was lush and it was fruitful. We refer to it as the promised land. And after Moses led the people out of Egypt to freedom, he reminded them over and over again about their former state. I have several of those reminders, and I'll give them to you just quickly and briefly. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Remember 
that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Deuteronomy 15, 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Deuteronomy 16, 12. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Deuteronomy 24, 18. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Deuteronomy 24, 22. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Now why this constant refrain? Why was Moses repeating this over and over? Well, as strange as it sounds, bizarre as it seems, there was a tendency on the part of the people who had come out of this bondage, they had come out of this slavery, there was a tendency on their part to desire to go back, to go back to that same bondage, that same slavery they had been freed from. Now, from the perspective of our time and our culture, that would be totally unthinkable. It would be totally unthinkable to want to be a slave. Slavery in our own country, it's an awful part of the history of our country. It nearly permanently broke the union that is the United States. But slavery is not just a part of our country's history. It's really part of world history. From the dawn of time, when one group of people had power over another group of people, those who were less powerful, they were seen as property. They were seen as property to be bought, sold, traded, used, and abused in the worst of ways. In the early pages of the Bible, we read some of this history. We read about a man named Joseph. He was hated by his brothers. His brothers banded against him. They overpowered him. And then they sold him. They sold him as a slave to a caravan of Ishmaelites. Well, that caravan went to Egypt. And those Ishmaelites sold Joseph to an Egyptian. His name was Potiphar and Joseph became a slave, a servant in the house of Potiphar. Well, then famine fell on the land of Egypt, and Egypt became the home of the Israelites. And their population grew, it grew and grew, and the Egyptians feared these people are going to take over. So what they do? They made them slaves. They turned them into slaves, and they kept them enslaved for 400 years. We read other passages of scripture that speak about this same thing, one group of people enslaving another. In the book of Amos, the people of Tyre, they were rebuked for taking captive whole communities of people and then selling them. And then the same was for the people of Gaza. They subdued whole communities and sold them, and they were rebuked. We read also in the book of Hosea that the prophet Hosea's wife became wayward and she fell into sexual bondage. In our time, we would call that trafficking. She was trafficked. Hosea discovered later his wife in this slavery and he purchased her. He literally bought her 
she was redeemed by Hosea for 15 pieces of silver and about a year's worth of barley, about a year's worth for a person. And that was no small price. That was a pretty significant price. Hosea paid that price. Now the idea that people could be property, the weak serving the strong, the poor serving the rich, well, that continued through history. It continued through the Greek Empire. It continued through the Roman Empire, the New Testament era. It continues even today. Now, who would want that? Who would want to be a slave? To us, the idea is just totally unthinkable. So to read in the Old Testament that the people who had been enslaved by the Egyptians would want to go back to being slaves, that they would desire that, that they'd need to be reminded, remember, you were slaves. Just seems like it doesn't make any sense. But there's a passage that sheds a little light on their perspective, how they saw it. When the Hebrew people were making their trek across a great wilderness, pointing towards that promised land, a land that God said would be flowing with milk and honey. Well, in the wilderness, there was no milk and honey, and the people kind of got tired of the same diet that they subsisted on day to day as they traveled. And what happened? They had this longing, this desire. We should go back. We should just go back. Now, this is from Numbers chapter 11. And Numbers chapter 11 opens by describing how the people were complaining about their diet and how they were just wailing. And they thought their situation was so hard. And, and then we read this. So this is Numbers 11, verse 5. These complaining, wailing people said, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. So what did, what did they remember? They remembered what they had to eat in Egypt at no cost. And I just say, really? Really? No cost? What were they thinking? They had been slaves. They had been owned like property. Their movements were restricted. They couldn't work in the profession that they were gifted in. The Egyptians needed bricks. So many of the Israelites were brick makers. They couldn't live where they wanted. Their travel was restricted. They couldn't move about as they wished. Ah, but they had cucumbers and garlic. Are you beginning to see their perspective? You know, for a few comforts, for something that feels good, for a moment, we'll forget the pain, we'll forget all the misery, we'll forget that we were slaves. We had some food at no cost, except the cost of their very lives. Can you hear the Lord saying, Remember, you were slaves. Reminder, you were slaves. And are you going to ignore that? With, that? with that image in mind, with that picture in mind, and that picture being this powerful draw, 
a draw that would make one forget their miseries and their griefs, make them forget that being a slave uh, cost them their, their whole life. With that image in mind, let's just fast forward about 1,500 years from those wandering Israelites to Jesus. Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem. One day, Jesus was in that temple in Jerusalem. And it was during the fall harvest celebration that was called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this festival was coming to a close. It was concluding. Now, the Festival of Booths, it was an eight-day festival. It had been instituted by God during that time of wandering. During that time, 1,500 years or so earlier, when the people were wandering and complaining in the wilderness, God said, I want you to celebrate this festival, and they call it the Festival of Booths. He, He said, set up these little booths or tents or tabernacles and celebrate in them for seven days. Well, this was a reminder God said, do this to remember your time in the wilderness and that you have been saved. You have been redeemed. You have been saved from slavery. So they were to celebrate that seven days. And then on the eighth day, which was the last day of the feast, the people were to hold a sacred assembly and they were to make offerings to the Lord. God directed that this would be an annual celebration and that they would do it. Every single year. So in the Gospel of John chapter 7, we read about Jesus observing this festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus was in the temple. It was the last day. They called it the last and the greatest day of the festival. The eighth day. And Jesus was teaching. He taught boldly. So boldly that the leaders were angry. And they wanted to seize him. But get this. Their own guards... The leaders' guards, they were so impressed by Jesus' teaching, they wouldn't even lay a hand on him. They were just so taken by his authoritative teaching. They didn't lay a hand on him, and the festival concluded. The next morning, John chapter 8 opens with the next morning, Jesus is back at the temple. The festival is over. The crowds had dissipated. But there were people at the temple. There were always people at the temple. Now this being the morning after the festival, there's no booths around. And something else was different. In the temple courtyard during this festival of booths or tabernacles, there would be these four huge candelabras, big giant menorahs fueled by oil, that were lit every single night during the festival of tabernacles. It would light up the temple. The lighted temple could be seen throughout the city during the night. Well, now the light's gone. The festival has concluded. John chapter 8, verse 2 says that at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts. Those lights are gone. I'm going to paraphrase a little of John chapter 8 because I want to get uh, to later in the chapter. It's dawn. The sun isn't fully up. Jesus is in the temple courtyard. And this is what he said. I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's verse 12 in John 8. Now, those lights that had been burning brightly every night the previous week, they were gone. But Jesus said, the light of life is here in your presence. Again, it's, it's, it's dawn. It's probably still a little dark out. There are people in the temple courtyards, and there are Pharisees. And these Pharisees, who were the leaders, and they were very strict about all the religious rules, this imagery of Jesus saying, hey, I'm the light, it did not. It did not miss them. So they challenged Jesus. And this back and forth ensues. And, and I, again, I paraphrase it. They, they say to Jesus, who do you think you are? You testify about yourself, but you have got no witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus said, my father is my witness. My father sent me. You don't know him. I'm going to go away, and where I go, you can't come. I'm from above. You are from below. Now, that's pretty stinging. This is getting to be a heated conversation. Jesus went on. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, lifted up, this is the image of Jesus on the cross, being crucified, lifted up on a cross. Son of Man, this is a reference to the Messiah, the Savior, whom all of the Jews were looking forward to. And the Pharisees knew full well what Jesus meant by that reference. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know. I do nothing on my own. My Father sent me. He has not left me. I always do what pleases him. Jesus went on. If you hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now that word right there, free, kind of turned the conversation a little. The Pharisees retorted at hearing this word, how can we be set free? We're not slaves. We're descendants of Abraham, and we have never been slaves to anyone. Well, then Jesus said this, and this is John 8, 34 to 36. Jesus replied to them, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus presented an image here, an image of slavery that I don't think they had ever considered or even imagined. You sin. You're a slave to sin. And what are the characteristics of a slave? Jesus pointed to them. No permanent place in the family. No permanent place in the family. What does that mean? You have no inheritance. You have no claim to anything in the family line. That's the reward of sin. Nothing. Nothing. No inheritance. No claims. But a son. A child in the family. 
belongs to the family forever. The child is the heir. The child can always make a claim and say, I am an heir. And then Jesus made this amazing statement. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, the son is a rightful heir. If the son sets you free, you're as free as the son. You become an heir with the son. You become adopted into the family as a child. And the Pharisees, they didn't understand. They didn't understand. And as Jesus drove his point, the conversation became more heated to the end of John chapter 8 where the Pharisees picked up stones and they unsuccessfully tried to stone Jesus to death. These Pharisees, these leaders, these rule followers... They were enslaved. They refused to be set free. They chose to remain slaves. Slaves to sin. And we were all once in that same state. Slaves to sin. Owned by sin. The image that Jesus used that day in the temple It's repeated several times in the New Testament. Most prominently by the Apostle Paul. He he was a Pharisee. And I I think that's, that's pretty significant. Jesus had argued with all these Pharisees and then here a Pharisee writes about the idea of being a slave to sin. This Pharisee, Paul, had taken hold of what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done. Paul saw sin as a harsh ruler. He saw it as a a, a harsh taskmaster, an owner of life. To be in sin, that is to be a slave to sin. Paul wrote about this. He wrote it to the churches in uh, the region of Galatia, If you read Galatians chapter 4, slave to sin, slavery. And Paul also drove this point home in his letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 6. Much of that chapter, Paul teaches about this idea, this image of sin and slavery. Sin owns you. Romans 6 Verses 6 to 10, Paul wrote, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. And by crucifixion, Paul's given this image of death. It's not our old self that's, it, it, it is our old self that's crucified. Or it, it is to be crucified. And it means that you've relinquished that old life, that life of sin. It should be dead. It's dead to us when we've turned to Christ. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be, what? Slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. See, Jesus paid a price. Remember I mentioned about Hosea? Hosea had to redeem his wife from, from sexual slavery. She was owned by another man. Hosea purchased her back. He purchased her out of that state of slavery. And then Hosea said to her, you're mine. You're mine. I am yours. He instructed her, never go back to that old life. Now Jesus did the same for you and for me. He paid the redemption cost. He died. Jesus was crucified. Now Paul wrote figuratively about us being crucified with Christ. But he wrote it to make a point. That to be free from sin is to see your old self who was a slave to sin. See yourself as dead and gone. That that's no longer part of you. You have been freed because Jesus died to establish that you are free from the slavery of sin. And sin cost. God said so. He said so time and time again. Sin has a cost. It will cost you your life. And that comes from the earliest pages of our Bible. God instructed the very first couple, Adam and Eve, to not eat from a single one particular tree. Every other tree was open. Every other tree they could eat from. But there was one. And God said, do not eat from it. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And what happened? They rebelled against God. They ate from the tree. They sinned. They died. Jesus took on sin. He gave up his life. Jesus said in John 8, I do what pleases my father. Now we heard a little encouragement this morning about that, that Jesus does what pleases the Father. And it pleased the Father that Jesus would be lifted up on that cross. Hard to understand, hard to imagine, I know. But it pleased the Father that Jesus would give up his life. Jesus paid the cost for sin. He paid the redemption price. Jesus bought all of mankind. He bought them out of the bondage of slavery to sin. He paid the price. And what does it cost you? What did we hear at the open this morning from Isaiah 55? You don't need to bring money. Come on to this marketplace where there's a great, great offer for you. And it costs you nothing. The death Jesus died, he died once. For all. Now Paul continued. Romans 6. 11 through 13. The death Jesus died. This is just what he said in verse 10. The death he died. He died to sin. Once for all. But the life he lives. He lives to God. Now. Verse 11. In the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death 
to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, reminder, you were slaves. Reminder, you were slaves to sin. Now don't go back. Do not go back to being that slave. Do not yield any part of yourself to sin. Ah, but sin comes a calling, doesn't it? Sin comes a calling, especially when we might be experiencing a little bit of discomfort. Maybe a little bit of a wilderness experience. A disappointment in life. A crisis of some kind, a health crisis. A relationship crisis. Some kind of setback. A loss. Brokenness. A failure. A loneliness betrayal, some kind of infidelity. Oh, maybe there's guilt or there's shame. And in that wilderness, sin is beckoning. Sin is pulling. Like fish and cucumbers and melons and leeks and garlic and onions. And it all seems, ah, it'll be nice, it'll taste good, and there's no cost. No cost but your life. And yet in, in the wilderness of life, you know that there's that tendency to turn back. When we need out of a wilderness, when we need out of some crisis, we need out of this issue, a problem, a setback. Does going back to what we did in the past Does it seem like the easy solution? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. What used to work? What used to work? How did I get out of a problem? How did we get out? What did we do? Maybe it was lying, cheating, finding comfort in the arms of another, doing whatever feels good, settling a score our own way, doing whatever we need to do, to bring personal happiness, to bring pleasure, to bring satisfaction. Oh, it's better than the pain. It's better than the hurt. And it looks like the easier path. And we might even think, man, this this doesn't cost nothing. You know, that's part of the draw. That's part of the pull to go back. But there is a cost. It's a tragic cost. Going back is yielding to sin. It's yielding to sin that leads to a disastrous end. It leads to slavery. It leads to bondage, ownership under someone else. Sin never leads to what we think it will. It will not lead to contentment. Sin will not lead to fulfillment. But it will always, always lead to slavery and misery and this tragic cost of death. So reminder, we were slaves. Moses said it over and over. Remember you were slaves. Remember you were slaves. Paul writes to us, reminder, you were slaves to sin. But you've been redeemed. You have been redeemed by the love of Jesus Christ who says you're mine. 
you're mine and I am yours. Jesus gave his life to redeem you. The death he died, he died for your sin. And then he conquered death because he rose from the dead. Death no longer has a mastery on him. And death no longer has a mastery on you when you receive the redemption paid for you by Jesus. The Son set you free, and he has won for you eternal life. He paid it all. And that's the prophecy of Isaiah 55. You, got, you, you don't have to bring some kind of great cost to Jesus. And there is no greater freedom, there is no greater gift than that. So when that pull comes, when that draw comes, when that temptation comes to go back to your old self, and that pull, that temptation's got you convinced, ah, this isn't going to cost me nothing. It'll be easier. It'll be more comfortable. It'll feel good. It'll be better. It's going to cost me nothing. When that pull comes, don't go back. Don't go back. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. This is what the Word of God is saying to us. Instead, offer yourself to Jesus. Bring him nothing but yourself. Bring him nothing but yourself. You can offer him your brokenness. Offer him your brokenness, your anger. Offer him your pain. Offer him your problem, your issue, your concern. You can offer him your wilderness. Offer every part of yourself to Jesus. You were a slave. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to that. Offer everything, all of that, all of that pain, strife issue to Jesus and see. See if the, the redemption price isn't there for you. You want deliverance? You want deliverance? That's the ultimate deliverance from death to life. Don't go back to slavery that leads to death. Offer yourselves to Jesus as someone who has been set free and brought over from death to life. I don't know if you're here this morning and you've never, ever done that. I know many of you have called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for many years. And yeah, those, those wilderness times come, those pulls. And that's why the apostle writes these things for us Christians to be reminded Jesus paid it all. Don't go back. But if you have never once received that great gift, that redemption price that's been paid for you, you're stuck in a bondage. You're stuck under an owner. Slavery to sin. And it owns your life to the point of death. Jesus gives you eternal life. If you've never welcomed him, if you've never really realized sin is this offense to God so great that there's a cost of life. And Jesus gave his life. The Father received that for everyone. One time, once, for all. Oh, receive that today if you've never done that. Let's pray. Let's stand. Let's pray. If, um, if there's anyone here Maybe, maybe you've 
you, you just need some prayer because you are up against something. There is a wilderness in your life. You have been holding true. Doing what the word says that Paul wrote. Offering everything you have as instruments of righteousness. But it gets hard sometimes. Sometimes it seems, it, it seems difficult to follow Jesus. If you just need some encouragement and some prayer today, you come and pray. And if you've never, ever given your life to Jesus, don't run out of here. Don't run. Come on forward. Come on forward. Someone will just wrap their arms around you and pray with you and help you. Today, the next step, walking in this place that is offering yourself as instruments of righteousness. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. We just praise you. We love you, Lord. We exalt you. And we just, we ask for you to move on hearts right now, Lord. If anyone needs those, if anyone needs help, if they need prayer, God, that they would just step forward, step out and, and, and make that open, open step that I'm putting it behind me and I'm gonna stay free. The sun set me free. I want that freedom. I want that release from the bondage. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing. Lord, we just thank you, God. You're great. You're great. You're so great. You can lift any burden we have. You can pull us out of any wilderness we're in. You can deliver us from any trial or temptation. You have won our life. You have brought us from death to life. God, help us to see it clearly. God, if we need that reminder, we were once slaves to sin. It owned us. It owned our life. It owned us to the point where we were destined for hell, death, and the grave, but you saved us. God, if we need that reminder today, oh, pour it in fresh in us, God, that you have saved us, redeemed us, you have bought us with a price, the great price of your blood on that cross, God, and that we would never, ever take it for granted, but that we would love you, and we would say, yes, I am yours, you are mine, and we would desire that we would give everything of ours to you and turn it over as righteous instruments for your glory and your good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people. God, may your hand be upon them. Lord, and if there's any in this room, any who have joined online who have never turned their life over to Jesus Christ, God, if they have never, ever stepped out of that bondage and welcomed the, the, the gift of Jesus, Lord, I just pray there'd be a turning a turning, a turning from that old self, as the apostle wrote, a putting down of that old self, a relinquishing of it, and a crucifying it, and turning it away, and coming to Christ Jesus, who forgives our sin and sets us free. Thank you, Lord, for that. We ask your grace on the rest of our day. We ask your loving kindness to go before us and behind us. Thank you, Lord. Bless all who are here. Return them back again to praise your name. Father, we ask it all in a powerful, precious name of our Savior and our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, these altars are still open. You don't have to rush away. If you need prayer, if you need prayer, come on.